running a bit long, so we've got about 14 minutes here for our third and final segment. Let's talk about bad business stuff. And yes, that was Bad Businessman from the Squirrel Nut Zippers, which we use for intro music. We want to get Matt Taibbi on the show. Don't know when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen. We hope it'll happen sometime in 2013. But I think I want to quote a bit from his book, Griftopia, a story of bankers, politicians, and the most audacious power grab in American history. Matt Taibbi does his homework, and he's got the goods on some of these guys, and that's why they don't like him too much in New York. Kind of for the same reason the emperor probably didn't like the kid that said, Hey, the emperor's got no clothes! I think in this case I can't resist quoting from Taibbi's chapter on Alan Greenspan, which is titled, The Biggest A-Hole in the Universe. Taibbi's describing how Alan Greenspan is chairman of the Federal Reserve, loaned out lots and lots of money between 2003 and 2005, during which time the outstanding mortgage debt in America grew by $3.7 trillion, which was roughly equal to the entire value of all American real estate in the year 1990. In other words, Americans in two years had borrowed the equivalent of 200 years worth of savings. Greenspan wasn't worried, though. He said technological advances have resulted in increasing efficiency and scale within the financial services industry. Says Mad Taibbi, the kind of advances Greenspan was talking about were actually fraud schemes. In one sense, he was right. Prior to the 2000s, the technology did not exist to take a jobless immigrant with no documentation and no savings and, make, and turn him into a AAA-rated mortgage risk. Now, thanks to technological advances, it was suddenly possible to lend trillions of dollars to millions of previously unsuitable borrowers. This was Greenspan's explanation for the seemingly inexplicable surge in new home buying. The results of all these policies would be catastrophic, of course, as the collapse of the real estate market in 2007-8 would wipe out roughly 40% of the world's wealth. While Greenspan's frantic printing of trillions of new dollars in the collapse of the tech boom would critically devalue the dollar. In fact, from 2001 to 2006, the dollar would lose 24% of its value versus the foreign currencies in the dollar index. Even tin-pot third-world currencies like the ruble and the peso gained against the dollar during this time. And yet Greenspan insisted at the end of this period that the devaluation of the dollar was not really a problem, at least so long as you didn't travel abroad, said Greenspan, so long as the dollar weakness does not create inflation, then I think it's a market phenomenon which, aside from those who travel the world, has no real fundamental consequences. Taibi. No real fundamental consequences? For Greenspan to say such a thing proved he was either utterly insane or completely dishonest, since even the world's most stoned college student understands that a weak dollar radically affects real wealth across the board. We buy foreign oil in dollars, and since energy costs affect the price of just about everything, being able to buy less and less oil with a dollar as time goes on makes the whole country that much poorer. It's hard to overstate how utterly mad it was for a Fed chairman in the age of the global economy to claim that a weak currency only affects tourists. It's a little bit like saying a forest fire only really sucks if you're a woodpecker. We gotta get this guy on the show. All right, let's go into the lightning round. I got a stack of papers about a quarter inch high of clippings and economically related items. Let's just let's blow through some of these. There was a piece last week in the Los Angeles Times about how B of A is being sued for $1 billion over Countrywide's 
Hustle, the quote from the piece by Walter Hamilton and E. Scott Record, Bank of America thought it was laying claim to a crown jewel of the U.S. mortgage lending when it scooped up countrywide financial core at the depths of the housing crisis in 2008. With a name reflecting its ambitions, Countrywide transformed itself from a regional lender in Calabasas, California, to a burgeoning powerhouse. It seemed to have perfected the elusive art of making home loans to borrowers with scuffed credit. But the deal quickly became a millstone for Bank of America, U.S. taxpayers, and the U.S. economy when Countrywide dissolved in a heap of bad loans and shoddy bookkeeping. The extent of Countrywide's wayward behavior is still coming to light four years after the deal. Now, a billion-dollar civic suit alleges that Countrywide fraudulently deceived mortgage finance giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac into believing its risky loans were safe and sound. Here's the part I like. Countrywide codenamed its mortgage program The Hustle. (laughs) That was their name for it. To produce, to prod employees to churn out loans as the housing market was beginning to crack. Says the U.S. attorney in Manhattan, the name was apt. According to the suit, Countrywide, in its haste to stick the government with loans it knew were flawed, dropped traditional internal safeguards designed to ensure loan quality. The suit, which seeks trouble damages, said the abuses occurred between 2007 to 2009. Said the U.S. Attorney Preet Bahara, the fraudulent conduct alleged in today's complaint was spectacularly brazen. Countrywide and Bank of America made disastrously bad loans and stuck taxpayers with the bill. Wall Street as you might imagine, doesn't quite see it this way. Said Richard Bove, a banking analyst at Rochdale Securities, It looks like the Soviet Union show trials have moved to the United States. We set up a group of witch hunters like they had in Salem, Massachusetts, or like what Senator Joe McCarthy did. This is McCarthyism. Which I have to admit, pretty good. (laughs) What they're doing is not only McCarthyism, it's like the witch trials and it's like the Soviet Union show trials. I don't know. Noted the piece, B of A's acquisition of Countrywide is regarded by many analysts as the worst takeover in banking history. I'll leave it up to you, dear listener, to read the details about the hustle as they're outlined in this article and elsewhere. But I have to agree, the hustle was a pretty good name for it. With all this talk about how the housing market is heating up again, I wonder if we've learned anything. Are we going to go right back to the same bubble economics? I fear we might. We seem to have plans now to annex more land around the greater Sacramento City area out in the county and start building on that. They're going to build up in Atomas. They're going to build over there by uh, White Rock Road. We followed the story about Elk Grove applying to expand its urban footprint southward, adding 8,000 acres or 12 square miles to land that will be developed. And in a headline that uh, this correspondent has to regard sort of the equivalent of a headline that says, Cancer on the rise. We have the headline, House Flippers are back in force. Referring to a piece in the B by Hudson Sangri, talking about uh, how more investors are seeking profit in fast turnovers, noting that about one out of 12 homes sold in Sacramento County last year was flipped, meaning it was bought and resold within a six-month period. And this points us back to the whole idea of getting loans that are inflatable at 0%, and this is a good idea because you're not going to hold on to the property anyway. You're going to sell it to some other bigger fool. This provided quite a bit of the fuel that drove our housing bubble, and it makes me nervous. I think it ought to make you nervous, dear listener. 
I see it as kind of a form of gambling, this kind of speculation in housing. Of course, if you set it up right, it's a pretty good bet, at least in the short term. Of course, we're also seeing a big surge in reverse mortgages. If you watch late night TV, you see uh, uh, old has-been actors out there pushing these off on people as a great solution to their financial problems. Recent piece on this uh, topic by Jessica Silver Greenberg in the New York Times, I think I should quote from. The very loans that are supposed to help seniors stay in their homes are in many cases pushing them out. Reverse mortgages, which allow homeowners 62 and older to borrow money against the value of their homes and not pay it back until they move out or die, has been fraught with problems. But federal and state regulators are documenting new instances of abuse as smaller mortgage brokers, including former subprime lenders, remember those guys, flood the market after the recent exit of big banks and as defaults on the loans hit record rates. Some lenders are wooing seniors with promises the loans are free money that can be used to finance long-coveted cruises without clearly explaining the risks. Some widows are facing eviction after they say they were pressured to keep their name off the deed without being told that they could be left facing foreclosure after their husbands died. Boy, this sounds like the, <laughs> the real estate wheeler dealers that, uh, that I know. Notes the piece. Concerns about the multi-billion dollar reverse mortgage market echo those raised in the lead-up to the financial crisis when consumers were marketed loans, often carrying hidden risks, that they could not afford. The Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson is quoted as saying, there are many of the same red flags, including explosive growth and the fact that these loans are often peddled aggressively without regard to suitability. Example, Joan Serio Ford, 72, thought she couldn't feel more devastated after her husband Christopher died last year. But then roughly a month after the funeral, she got a letter from Generation Mortgage, a reverse mortgage lender, informing her that unless she paid $293,000, she would lose her home in San Bernardino. Ford said she was never informed that if she wasn't on the reverse mortgage deed, she would have virtually no right to stay in her home unless she bought it outright. Generation Mortgage has refused to comment. All right, in the two minutes we got left, I think I'll switch from houses to cars. Fascinating piece by Jerry Hirsch in the LA Times, reprinted in the B. Notes that the electric car company Tesla is... Uh, running up against some opposition from the nation's new car dealers. It turns out that U.S. auto dealers have controlled new vehicle sales in this country for nearly a century. The nation's roughly 18,000 dealers got a cut of every one of the 12.8 million new cars and trucks sold in the U.S. last year, from the biggest domestic SUV to the tiniest Japanese import. It's an exclusive arrangement that has made many of them very rich and one that they're not about to cede to some tiny Palo Alto automaker. Some individual auto dealers and regional associations have filed lawsuits attempting to block Tesla, which now operates 16 stores in 12 states, from selling their automobiles directly to the public. Peace notes that the upstart automaker's battle with dealers is shedding light on a little-known practice that it contends amounts to legalized restriction on trade. That's the franchised new car dealership system, which dates back to the start of the U.S. auto industry, when hundreds of manufacturers were fighting for market share. Setting up showrooms was expensive and time-consuming, so automakers sold to other entrepreneurs the right to market their cars in specific cities. Over time, car dealerships became crucial sources of employment and tax revenue for local communities. To prevent manufacturers from opening their own stores and undercutting neighborhood dealers, States develop laws governing the franchise relationship. The bottom line, 
car makers had to leave their retail sales to someone else. This is what Tesla is running up against. They're a small outfit. They want to market their cars themselves. They want to market their cars directly. Now, I don't know too much about the details in this story, but my cousin does have a Tesla. We're going to have to give him a call, maybe bring him on the show and talk about what he knows about all of this. I'm pretty sure he bought it directly from Elon Musk. Well, not literally directly. I'm sure there were intermediaries involved. But frankly, I just like saying Elon Musk. That's about it. Our thanks to Gordon Smith. We'll be talking more about uh, foreign uh, matters with him sometime next year. Yours truly in the real physical world is somewhere between Shanghai and Osaka, Kyoto. But I will be back in person next week. I'll see you then. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. And you, of course, have been listening to Radio Parallax.